0: Listener Production. Okay, are you recording?
1: Legends, you are tuned into episode 199 of The Howie Games, Part A, the next chapter, starring Major League pitcher Liam Hendricks.
2: He struck him out. Hendricks again blitzes the Orioles. Struck him out. Fastball, and Liam Hendricks can celebrate fastball strike 3 we'll see you tomorrow Hendricks comes in and blitzes the Cardinals,
1: striking all three out. Liam first appeared on the show back on episode 148. He was fantastic, fascinating, he was fun. His descriptions of his journey from minor leagues to the major leagues, all the little detours along the way, how he nearly had to give the game away. If you haven't listened, I reckon at this point hit pause here and go back and listen to episode 148 as Liam detailed his journey from journeyman pitcher... To a closer for the chicago white Sox on a life changing 50 plus million yep 50 plus million dollar deal
0: so many lost and left behind and no one seemed to care those who should seems like they're blind pretending they're not there can't they see they hold the key could make things better if they try Oh my, jaja, tell me why won't they open up their
1: eyes? But then Liam was diagnosed with a form of cancer and his life changed again as he dedicated himself to treatment and recovery. And because Liam Hendricks is such a good man and his wife, Christy, is such a great woman they turn Liam's public profile into raising awareness and money for cancer research and meeting countless people battling cancer, people that in many cases are facing a much larger battle than Liam did. Now, just about everyone listening to this episode will have been affected by cancer in some way. Personally, a loved one, a friend, a relative. It's present everywhere in our community. Sometimes it is overcome, sometimes it's not. So this episode... 199, William, is dedicated to the people in your life that have faced cancer. For me, it's dedicated to Arnie, who has been fighting various cancers for six years, to Maddie H, who, in his words, kicked testicular cancer in the balls in style. It's dedicated to Sophie, who was taken from Timmy and Anna when she had her whole life ahead of her. It's dedicated to Adam who lost his mum Pauline to cancer just this week, and to everyone. And there were many who loved the beautiful angel that was Ainsley, a woman who refused to let cancer define her, who would never, ever complain, and who has left a large hole in so many people's lives. And it's dedicated to the person or people that as you're listening to this, you're thinking about right now. Here is the next chapter of Liam Hendricks, a man who closed out
0: cancer. So when you search and then you find And know just where to go And thoughts that once used to cloud your mind You see clearly and now you know Mystery, what is to be revealed In King Selassie, I Come on children, it with me we
1: want to reach Mount Well, welcome to the Howie Games next chapter. This man appeared on the show... Um probably a year and a half ago now, maybe two years ago. His name is Leon Hendricks. He's, uh, he's had an incredible sport journey. He's had an incredible journey in the last year and a half as well. Mate, it is great to see you over there in Arizona with a nice curly mop on top of your head and a big smile on your face. How are you going? Not too
2: bad, yeah. This is actually the shortest my hair's been uh, in a long time. So the, obviously we'll get into it, but my hair lasted through chemo, did not last through the elbow surgery. I, uh, because I was I was in a brace for two months, so can't put it up when you're in a brace. Oh. And my wife was absolutely refusing to do that for me, so I had to go.
1: Mate, there's so much to talk about, but. Um, people need to go back and listen to your full episode to understand your athletic journey. But just before we started this, you just sent me a photo which made <laughs> me smile. Explain the photo you just sent me because it it um, it blew me away, mate.
2: Yeah. So while I was going through uh, like treatment and stuff like that, one of my buddies from back home came over. So Toby Toby Redman uh, grew up playing baseball with him. Uh, we were talking about just like just nostalgia stuff. So I ended up tracking down this photo. And it is uh ooh, this must have been I was fifteen so under fifteen schoolboys, so it would have been two two thousand four maybe yeah and um yeah we uh we had the all Australian or the under boys was in Perth uh West Aussies the only team that wasn't there was South Australia for whatever reason they just didn't compete in schoolboys at that point um our West Australian team we that closest game was the grand final and we won by one hundred and ten points. Wow! So it was a little bit of a yeah. (laughs) I was a defender at that point on the halfback flank, and yeah, made the All Australian representative team. And lo and behold, as I'm scouring through these, uh, yeah, Paddy Mills is part of that representative team as well. And now both are over in the states. And uh, I mean, he's uh, he's creating a hell of a hell of a career for him over here in the bar and the NBA.
1: That's like that's a classic photo because there's you, you know, a picture him in the MLB and there's him, an NBA winner. Um, <laughs> it's an extraordinary photo really. It would be one of those things to look back on. Right, mate. So when I left you, you were in Chicago. Um, you detailed your journey of being weeks away from finishing the game, not getting paid much to um, tremendous success uh, at Chicago, an enormous $50 million contract. And it's one of those things, mate, that when you have people on this show, because you speak to them intimately for an hour and a half or two hours, you, you, you do have a connection. And I always, like, I have so many athletes I follow now, so I don't necessarily follow baseball, but I follow you. And then when everything happened, I think the audience does as well, Liam, because I would have got 150 DMs saying, have you seen the announcement with Liam and he's got a health issue? So it was immediately on my radar, mate. So as I said at the start, it's great to see you with a big smile on your face and healthy and happy. But but what happened? Your, your baseball career is flying. When do you first realise something is a little bit amiss?
2: Yeah, so I think last time we spoke was uh, I think just after the 2021 series season. Yep. Um, and so heading into 2022, everything was good. Hunky-dory, running through there. Um had uh, some elbow issues right around like the middle of the season. So had some. I've always had some pain in my elbow, which hasn't gone away, but it's just that uh, you learn to play through some things. And yeah, halfway through the year, I'm noticing that there was a lump, like right on the back of my neck and it's just like, it almost felt like just a, an inflamed hair follicle or something like that, but it was hard. It was immovable. And that stuck around. So I'm like, you know how you constantly fiddle with things like that. That was yeah. there. And then as the season went on, I noticed one of the here, which is the one they actually cut out. Uh, And then there was a couple on the side and there was one that looked like this little jelly bean on the side right along my neck. And I didn't think anything of it. I was like, okay, I'm in a little bit more pain than usual. I had just gotten some, um, just gotten back from getting some shots and stuff in my arm. And so like everything, there's a whole lot going on. So I was like, okay, it's probably either stress or just uh, something going on. And so I got some blood work done, got some urinalysis done. Nothing came back, so I was like, "Okay, perfect. Nothing's wrong. I'll be fine." Lumps stuck around, didn't go away. Um, towards the end of the year, I just noticed my body breaking down, like pretty, pretty uh, predominantly. Like the, my last game of the year, I was I couldn't bend up straight. I couldn't bend like I had to. I was limping with my knee, and I couldn't actually get my arm into my glove. So I was putting my glove into my arm, and that was the only way I could move it. I was still throwing, like I was still throwing 98 miles an hour. I was still wow. having success, but I just couldn't move. And I figured it was just a little like a long season, getting a little older. As soon as the season's done, I think nothing of it. I'm going to wait some time, probably just uh, just some stuff going on with my neck. So I was like, okay, it'll, go, it'll die down when the stress level goes, when I stop working out, when I stop doing all these things. Didn't go away. We're about ready to go on vacation. I'm starting to feel a little bit healthier, starting to feel good uh, going on vacation. I reached out to the team doctor. We're like, Hey doc, these lumps haven't gone away yet. I know you mentioned some antibiotics that I could get on. Do you mind if I jump on something like that? Yep. His response was if they're still there, I'd go get checked out. Instead. I'd, I wouldn't feel respond. I wouldn't feel comfortable giving you just a prescription to go get some stuff, but, um, got an injection or oh, sorry, a needle biopsy under there. So they pulled out some out, get a call the next week and like, look, it's, we're not sure what it is. It's not normal, but it's not abnormal. It's kind of like this in between where we're not sure. So we have to run some more tests. So I'm like, okay, what's the next test? He goes, biopsy. So team doctor was like, okay, we'll schedule this. We'll go get it done. So I pretty much just went in, cut it out, pulled it out. Uh, and like, okay, there's, there's really two options. It could be nothing and benign, and it could just be an infection. Or it could be a form of lymphoma, and it could be cancerous. So I get it cut out. Lo and behold, the guy comes in, he goes, Yeah, it was solid. It wasn't pussy. That's not a good sign. Uh, it's cancer. So get transferred from him to the ENT to the mayo clinic out here in Arizona. Go through some more tests where it's like, okay, I'm not feeling any symptoms. I'm almost I, I'm still doing my pre-season, my yeah, my preseason workout. I'm still doing everything the the same way I normally would. But just going through all these testing. So get through that, go see the oncologist, confirm that you have uh, a type of lymphoma called follicular lymphoma. Okay. She goes, the, the good thing is you're not having any symptoms. We don't think it's anything too serious. We think it's maybe a stage one, stage two, and maybe with the right like sort of meds, you don't have to go through anything. Uh, it could be a wait and see. And uh, so go to PET scan, go to CAT scan, at that point, she's like, okay, well, now we need a PET scan, which is going to light up your entire body and show us how much you've got.
1: What's your level of concern at this stage, mate? Uh, so I, as everybody does, you really Google things. Yeah. So
2: I'm Googling like, okay, is it good that it's immovable? Yeah, okay. So we get the CAT scan done. It shows up all over my body. It flared up everywhere. I look like look like my Dalmatian. Oh, really? So I went from potentially being one or two to being, yeah, this is a lot further than we thought. This is definitely stage four. Um, the treatment options now are pretty straightforward. It is immunotherapy mixed with chemotherapy. While well, going through all this, I'm still working out, still playing catch, still throwing, still getting ready for the 2023 season. But this kind of put a damper on that. Right. On the 8th of January, I announced it. On the 9th of January, I had my first session.
1: So... We talked about, before we get to the sessions of what you went through, mate, we talked about um, the amount of sporting clubs you'd been through playing baseball. Like we listed them in the main episode, you know, it took 10 minutes <laughs> to get through them all. How did a, an organisation like Chicago, the Sox, deal with what you're telling them? Well, first off, um, the team doctor, Dr.
2: Paul, i ask you, he was fantastic. He kept everything very in-house. Because that's the biggest problem, when... You- <laughs> And I don't like to say I'm like a prominent figure or anything like this, but your, your, your name is heard throughout places. Yes. And so like the last thing I wanted to do is have this get leaked out before I had a chance to, one, tell my family, uh, before I had a chance to tell people that we were close to or just to be able to kind of cope with it myself. But uh, he was fantastic. When I finally did tell the White Sox, I told them all as soon as I got the confirmation from everybody. So that was – I called the GM. I called – the manager, I called the pitching coach, I called the uh, president, I called the team owner. So these are all conversations I'm having and having to kind of break it down. They were all extremely respectful and they were very on board with the fact of, look, I want to control the narrative here. I want to come out and say it was me. I don't want it to be like, oh, Liam's going through this. This is what the White Sox have said. Like, no, no, this is what Chrissy and I, this is what my entire family, this is what we've come up with and I want to release it myself. Mm-hmm. And that's why the only people that knew uh, were a couple of friends and uh, my agency and the organization. There were, and I'm talking like four people in the organization, there wasn't very many people that actually knew, and that's the way we wanted to keep it.
1: So, treatment starts what is treatment, how and how does it affect you physically from an athletic sense, mate?
2: Yeah, so, um, one, I want to say how blessed and how thankful I am to have the support staff around me. I was lucky that my parents and my sister and my brother-in-law were actually in Arizona for Christmas at this time. So they were all around. Um, my doctor, who, Dr. Allison Rosenthal at the Mayo Clinic here in Arizona, she is an absolute rock star. Huh. She, she not only was, she was a collegiate athlete. She was a collegiate gymnast. So she got the performance, like athletic side of things. Then she also got diagnosed with leukemia while in college doing that as well. So not only was she a an athlete, hardcore athlete. She was also a cancer survivor and now she is an oncologist. So like she was able to kind of tone us down when we were getting a little too far. She was able to comfort my wife knowing that she'd been through something similar and hers is actually worse than my diagnosis. So she'd been through a lot and now deals with this on a daily basis. So she told me in the same sentence that she said, you are stage four. She also said, I'm not worried. So that was a huge thing for me. Stage four, I'm not worried. I was like, okay, then we can attack this. And as far as treatment goes, like it's you get to the hospital at six a.m. Luckily, I'm only half an hour away from the hospital, so it wasn't too bad. So I got to the hospital at six a.m. Walking in, and I had planned. I planned. I had like twelve hours of TV shows downloaded on an iPad. <laughs> I had like three books. I had everything. I had all the podcasts downloaded. I had everything. And I slept for ten hours. <laughs> Did you really? So what? What I my my treatment sessions were. I had immunotherapy, and chemotherapy on Mondays. I had chemotherapy on the Tuesday and then I had, that was a back-to-back days every 28 days. So I was on a very, like a milder dose. I didn't lose my hair. I had no uh, symptoms like that. But the first day, the immunotherapy took about eight and a half hours. And so I got sick from the first day and that was, they said that's relatively normal. As soon as they upped the dosage, I was crook. Um, and then they gave me all the sedatives and I was knocked out after that. And then the chemotherapy took seven minutes. So uh, eight minutes. and a half hours for immune seven minutes. It took longer for the saline to get through the chemo bag hmm. than it did for the chemo to get into my system. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, the next day I went back, had the seven minutes and in and out in an hour and a half. And it was, uh, yeah, it, it wasn't fun. Uh, but it was Monday, Tuesdays were treatment days, Wednesday, Thursdays, I was pretty much catatonic on the couch just couldn't couldn't get up like I was really tired all the time I was napping I was doing meditation therapies in the room and just trying to relax and do that way and then Friday I was back at the field and the White Sox did a huge thing for me and spring training was just about ready to start so most guys would get there at 6 7 a.m in the morning I would roll in at 10 and I was able to get in there not around a huge amount of people just because my immune system was so sharp so I was able to get in and get out before everybody else, but I was still able to get my work in. I was still able to throw. I was still able to do everything I needed to do to pretend like I had come back as quick as I did.
1: Next up on the podcast, it is episode 200. Now, episode 100 featured Adam Scott, who, in fine style, recounted one of the great days in Aussie sports history where he detailed his journey to becoming the first Australian to win the Masters at Augusta. So that was episode 100. I loved it, as did many of you. Episode 200, how do you top that? We are stoked about episode 200. Truly over the moon, because it features an athlete at the centre, for mine, of the greatest Australian sports story of 2023 the Matilda's era defining run at the World Cup.
2: <clears throat> and And sends the majority of the 80,000-plus inside Stadium Australia into Rapture.
0: Our guest
1: next week, episode 200, is the woman who captained the side for a large part of that tournament, Steph Catley. Now, this is a behind-the-scenes look at every major moment in that World Cup. And I'll guarantee right now, and I rarely do this, I guarantee there will be goosebump moments.
0: In Melbourne... We were already winning, we felt in control of the game, we were playing better than in that second half, and we got a penalty. and at that moment was just sort of fun because again, I felt like I was gonna score. I this was my second penalty, so I knew the keeper would know that I liked going that way, but there would be some doubt. But then I again, I just picked my spot, hit it as well as I could, and then got to sort of like let loose celebrate with the whole team and (laughs) just enjoy that moment and it really was special I think after we got through with the celebrations and the huddle I ran back by myself and just kind of looked around to Amy Park and pumped my chest and was like just taking it all in and it was yeah a very special moment for me and it's funny I, I haven't really spoken about it in this depth and sort of like gone back there and felt the emotions of that and it's actually like really cool to recall and special to remember because it was yeah it was a very special moment for me for sure. That is the
1: absolutely brilliant brilliant Steph Catley next week. Let's get back to Liam. Like the word you're using in relative terms it sounds like you breezed through it. Now, I'm sure that wasn't the case, but you're talking about it in a very matter-of-fact way. Like what was your, what was your lowest point uh, physically or mentally going through the whole scenario? To be honest, I didn't really
2: have too many low points. I'm a relatively positive guy and I needed to make sure that I maintained that kind of mindset. Mm. Um, and to be honest, the amount of people that reached out was a huge boon. We had a couple guys. So there was one guy in particular, his name's is Jamison Tyone. He uh, is currently with the Chicago Cubs and he had the surgery to remove one of his testicles and then came back that same year. Well, he reached out uh, probably about two or three weeks after I'd announced it. I'd gone through my first round. He'd reached out and be like, nobody can tell you what to do, what you can and cannot do. Do what you feel is right. Hmm. And that was one of the huge things for me because this is a guy who's gone through it This is a guy who's been through the ring. He understands everything around it. And that was a huge turning point in me because I was like, okay, I'm just going to play catch. I'm going to take it easy, but stay in somewhat shape. But at that point he takes me down. I was like, no, I'm pushing it. I'm going to go out there. This is my happy place. Baseball is my happy place. Being on the field, being, doing my normal monotonous routine is where I needed to be. And I started, I threw a bullpen the next day, I think. And so, I mean, I put my body through the ringer with stress tests and everything like this to make sure that I was okay. I had to get some extra testing done to make sure from the White Sox point of view to make sure that I was okay. Because one of my hotspots was my left femur and the pressure on my my landing leg. So picture a cricket ball of their front leg where it kind of snaps back and they go over the top. Yep. They were really concerned with the amount of pressure that I was putting on my femur that I could snap my femur. Yeah. And that point- obviously my season would be done and I'd have a long kind of physical rehab going on, but we got all the testing done that showed I was still strong. I had no issues in that. So that was a, a good sign and I was able to get going. But t- to one of the hardest point was just telling my wife than anything else. It was just calling my wife. Like Dr. Paul told me there's a chance this is lymphoma. And at that point I had already drowned myself to it. So I called her and I was a 45 minute drive away from home and calling her to tell her this is the possibility that that near broke me because the emotion that she showed um that was really hard for me to deal with because look, I can handle anything myself it's just going to be pushing through or it's going to be handling it but having to break that to, to someone you love and someone you care about and give them terrible news it's it's not an easy thing what'd she say well she was obviously very emotional she started crying and um but it, it was the same point. We both understood that, look, it, it is what it is. There's nothing we can do to change anything. She was annoyed because she's like, at some point, we've got to catch a break. Okay, it's cancerous. Okay, that, that's yeah. a bad, bad news. Um, okay, it's this. Okay, bad news. At some point, we've got to catch a break. And the break was, I was stage four, but I was category 1B. And so this categories are the kind of aggressiveness. So what I had was very slow moving, non-aggressive, easily treatable. And so, yeah, it was stage four. All the surrounding things sound really bad about it, but it was treatable and it was a milder chemo and there was the little the little bright sides then. But also we looked at him like, okay, this is going to suck for me and suck for us this year, but what can we do and how can we make a silver lining out of this? And it ended up being what we ended up doing once I came back.
1: Before you come back, and this may be one of the silver linings. So like I say, you follow someone and so I'm reading every article and then I start seeing what you're putting on out on social media and then you start to connect, for want of a better term, mate, with the cancer community. And the cancer community is enormous because everybody listening to this episode will have known or loved or lost or been through or seen. So so how, how did that, start where all of a sudden you are finding yourself speaking to groups, single people. like that. You and the cancer community all of a sudden develop this connection through the profile that you had and I guess your story getting out there, mate.
2: Yeah, that was one of the things we really wanted to hop on. It's like, look, this is going to suck for me but if I can make this suck less for somebody else, that's what I'm going to do and that's going to help me get through everything. So while going through treatment, it was connecting with – uh some of my doctors, other patients. Uh, it was talking to people. It was putting my going through the process of doing it all, making sure that it was very public because look, it's going to suck, but I know that someone else is watching. This is going to be able to help. It's going to be able to help them. It's going to be able to push through. And at this entire time, I'm thinking this isn't a big deal. I'm coming back. If I come back within two months, I missed eight weeks of the season. People have missed years of the season and then they've come back and it's not as big of a deal. It took for me to come back and my first rehab game, the entire opposition bench, who is coached by a guy I used to play with, who's now their entire team stood up and applauded me when I came into the game. And that was a big thing. Like it was not just a, he's missed a couple months of the season. Like, he's overcome a lot of, is some things. And the more people we kind of show this to, the more people can get a little bit of support. But yeah, it's, um it immediately started off as we wanted to do something. And that was meeting with people, whether it was talking with people, whether it was anything. So it was a great opportunity for me to kind of reach out and branch out and, but we had some organizations reach out to us that were huge for us, whether it be um the Weish Foundation out of Chicago, whether it be the Lymphoma Research Foundation, the Leukemia Lymphoma Society. There was a bunch of different like places that reached out to us to offer support. And in turn, it flipped around. And now my wife is on the board of the LRF, the Lymphoma Research Foundation, and is helping with fundraising and helping to 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 kind of raise awareness and uh hopefully find a cure for a lot of these things when liam hendricks went out to the bullpen earlier tonight there was somebody holding a sign basically saying i'm dealing with cancer right now you're an inspiration some tears welling up in the faces of some fans this is an
0: emotional powder keg tonight it's a
2: great night to be at the ballpark liam hendricks in a battle for his life A
1: story that transcends baseball. To see him back this soon is absolutely magnificent. So, how did how did you go? Like, you, a bloke from Perth who lives and works in America, grew up playing footy and then baseball. How, How did you take on all these stories, mate? Like your story has a bright and beautiful ending. But a lot of people that are faced with all sorts of cancers don't have bright and beautiful endings. How did you take on people's anguish, people's sadness, people's pain?
2: To be honest, the more I spoke about what I went through, the easier it got to talk about it. And what I've noticed with like – because a lot of the people I met with, and I really wanted to focus on the young adult and adolescent kind of range because there's always like you hear all the commercials, you see all the commercials, you see everything, and it's – and not to take away from any of this, it's very, it's like childhood and newborn and young kids. And then it's the, the main stage, it, which is more of the kind of elderly and stuff like that. There's, but there's a huge gap in the middle and that gets like, that's a lot of the population, but gets the least amount of funding. Now that was one thing I wanted to do because it was like the 16 to 25 year olds, they're in the, they understand what's going on. So there's a little bit scarier in that sort of stuff, but they've also got their entire life to live ahead of them. And I realized, especially with meeting a lot of people, the resiliency that a lot of people show in this is huge. But the more you talk about it, the easier it gets. So my entire goal the entire time was to remove the stigma from the word cancer and remove the stigma from the word chemotherapy and just be like, hey, what was your side effects? What did you, what did you think of this? What was, what dose were you on? How did you react? Uh, what was your worst day ahead? Did you have any weird side effects? Like I had the hiccups for 12 hours and I, <laughs> my shoulders were killing me afterwards. <laughs> and like where I ran into a guy in Chicago when we were playing the Cubs, he had severe bone pain and they'd given me a medication for that, but it was just Clarin, which is an antihistamine that. That cures bone pain while going through treatments. He tried that and reached back out and said it like he's feeling a lot better now. It's just the little things like that, but the more you talk about it, the more people remove the stigma from the word cancer because you you say the word cancer and everyone's just like gaunt faced and they just yes. kind of sink into themselves. But if you kind of remove the uh, the the weight of the and the gravity of the word, you you realize that there is a plethora of different kind of ranges in him. I mean, the fatality rate has decreased 30% in the last 30 years through cancer research. The day before I got diagnosed with my exact, what I had, there was a drug that came out for my exact type of cancer, not for my age group. It was for like a little bit uh, progressed on a little bit in age, but the exact little subset, and there's 82 different types of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So the fact that one came out the day before I got diagnosed just shows you the research capabilities and the research going into these things is actually having a dramatic dramatic kind of improvement
1: in the, in the overall life. So what have you learned mate? What what have you learned from this period of being very well known, extremely wealthy, extremely well performed athlete to a bloke getting chemotherapy? hearing stories of kids that are going through the same thing, like what, what's your takeaway, Liam? Uh, the, I, I, it annoys me when people have platforms
2: and they don't, they don't use them. Whether it be for anything, whether I agree with them or not, whether it be for animal rescue, whether it be for LGBTQ rights, whether it be for cancer research and childhood cancer or adulthood or young adult adolescent, whether it be for... Military, whatever it is, we've been given a platform, especially as athletes or cel- like, not celebrities, but like people in the kind of the, the public space, use it, do something with it, whether it be to, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care, but it's just, I, it annoys me when people don't do anything. It annoys me in that. And I put it with a lot less like this. Like I've usually been trying to mold people like in, in, at the game, at the field, always be that positive person, always kind of rally people around it. And there was a lot of times this year where I just had to kind of revert back and like, I just want to be happy. And sometimes me being silent in the background is what makes me the happiest. And sometimes me being the front person and making sure I'm talking to everybody is that's what makes me the happiest as well. But I was very lucky and the the people I met, I met with, I think 32 different people throughout the course of the year. And that was just on the field. Um, they helped me a lot with understanding what we can do and the understanding of what everyone else has gone through. Um, whether it be the, like Zoe, who we met in LA who came back out to Chicago. She um, She's aspiring to be a, uh, going to college and be a soccer player. And then there was Noah and then there was uh, Amori, And then there was like, there's so many different people that I was able to ch- get a chance to meet throughout the course of it. And it's just the little things and the little little bits of just going out there and giving a jersey to a guy called Kyle and just being able to kind of do anything you can to raise a smile in any space. It's, it doesn't take too much time out of our day. One thing that really made me it made me upset in a way, it made me very proud of who I am was when we did these and greets, especially because we did a lot of them on the road. And so I'm in yep. visiting cities. The White Sox did a fantastic job of coordinating with different teams. But the amount of people that the chaperones for those play, uh, for those people came out and said, "Thank you so much for staying." Normal meet and greets with players are a five minute ordeal. Right, they're m- literally a meet and then they greet and then they go. I mean, I I got ushered off the field a couple of times by security because uh, they needed to start <laughs> setting up the game. I mean, I was out there for hour and a half, two hours, just talking to these kids, talking to people, talking to the kids, the parents, the the um the spouses, it's just, you want, I want to learn about the, the stories that these people go through because everyone's story is different, but everyone, you can take a little bit from everything and whether it be, oh, I had this reaction or I'm super, nervous. like we met with this couple and they were in Oakland um, and she came out and she was halfway through her treatment for breast cancer and she was starting to hit that lull and about halfway through treatment, you just start hitting this lull of like, everything kind of catches up with you And you've been so positive and you've been so determined that it's just starts to wane a little bit. And I was so lucky that at that point in time, there was also another family there who she had just got over breast cancer. She just had a double mastectomy. She had just kind of gone through everything. And so seeing those two connect, seeing the lady who would just gone through it all, being able to kind of impart some wisdom on the person who's just hitting that mid-season lull. I mean, that that was one of the most important things I was able to see and witness over the course of this year. It was just the people uniting together about everything and uh, being able to talk to husbands and parents and wives and kids. And I mean, it's just, it, it affects everybody. And the more you can do and the more we can uh, kind of support each other in this system and the more you can have, and I i don't wish any this upon anybody else, but the more people who do have this, that are willing to talk about it, willing to speak out about it, if there's public figures willing to talk about it, not just shying away from it, but willing to talk about it. It inspires so many different people all around the globe to, to really
1: push through and really test the limits of what they can do. That is the end of Liam Hendricks' The Next Chapter, Part A. Plenty more to come in Part B.